Podcast. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome along to the show. I'm Justin Briley, Theology and Apologetics Editor for Premier, hosting this week's edition of The Profile, where every week we sit down with a Christian to talk about their faith, life and ministry. And don't forget, the show is available via podcast and brought to you in partnership with Premier Christianity magazine, your monthly source of news, views, reviews, interviews and cultural commentary. Uh, Do get a free sample copy of the mag over at premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Well, today on The Profile, I'm joined by author, evangelist and speaker Amy Orr-Ewing. Amy is Senior Vice President with Ravi Zacharias International Ministries and co-director of the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. She leads a team of pioneering apologist evangelists and speaks around the world on how the Christian faith answers the deepest questions of life. She's also the co-founder of Reboot. It's a youth apologetics initiative aimed at helping young people think more deeply about faith. And it runs all over the world now, and it's coming to London very soon. In fact, Saturday, the 21st of September. Amy's also married to someone called Frog and has three boys. Um, So we're going to find out all about her life, faith and ministry, uh, what it's like uh, being a mum and doing all this amazing evangelistic and apologetics work around the world. Amy, welcome along to The Profile. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on. It's really great to have you on, Amy. I've been a long-time fan, as you know, and you've spoken at my my unbelievable conference, been on the unbelievable show several times over the years. That's right. Well, likewise, love love what you guys are doing with that. Oh, bless you. Well, um, it's nice to be be able to get the chance to sit down for a proper long old conversation about your own background, though, which I've never really had the chance to do properly. The first question to clear up is: is how did you get married to a man? who named apparently after an amphibious creature. Um, (laughs) There's not many people with the name Frog. Uh, So do you want to tell us exactly what that's about? That is true. Well, um, we met at university. Actually, Frog is just his nickname, but it's sort of stuck since he was really small. And yeah, his real name is Francis, but everyone knows him as Frog. (laughs) And yeah. Well, I guess that explains it. Yeah, I was going to say the only other person I could think of with that sort of a name was Bear Grylls. But um, yeah, uh, thanks for clearing that one up. We'll we'll get to the story of you and Frog a bit later on. Um, Just in the first half of today's program, we we tend to start going back to the beginning. So tell me about life growing up, because I don't think your parents were actually Christians when you came into the world, were they? That's right. Yeah. Um, My mum and dad were both unbelievers. My dad um, was an academic, professional academic. um, And my grandfather had been a really elite scientist, very, very committed atheist, so much so that he forbade his kids from reading the Bible or talking about God. And my mum had a sort of I guess, fairly traditional middle-class upbringing, went to boarding school, went to school chapel a lot, and so knew stuff about religion but was completely and utterly uninterested and would probably have described herself as as a strong agnostic, if not an atheist. And um, my, my dad moved to Australia with, well, my parents moved to Australia with my dad's job teaching at the University of New South Wales, and it was there that a colleague took him to um, an event at lunchtime that was just happening on campus and 
but he took his lunch along and heard a speaker giving a talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And my dad just thought, oh my word, this is absolutely bizarre. <laughs> um, hearing someone talk about religion and truth in the same sentence, like those two things definitely, definitely don't go together. Um, my sister and I had been born um, out there in Australia and my parents had a really nice life. They had sort of everything you would want lifestyle wise. But I, I think my dad would say he was really sort of searching for, is there is there more? Is this it? Is there anything more to, that brings meaning to life? But that's about the extent of it. And then one day my mum was at, was um, had gone up to bed. My sister and I were asleep and my dad was marking some exam papers in his study at home. And he had a vision of, of Jesus and he's, his whole life flashed before him and um, and he experienced what we might describe as conviction of sin. He sort of saw the reaction on the face of Jesus to the things that he thought and said and done. And then he saw a vision of Christ on the cross and he just knew intuitively that Jesus was offering to forgive him. So he knelt down and thought, I need to say something, but I have no religious language. I have no language for prayer. So just words popped out of his mouth and he said lord i believe help my unbelief and i've heard that before floor, somewhere i'm sure a christian well he hadn't is the funny thing so a few weeks later when he bought himself a bible and read that in mark's gospel he was quite astonished um but yeah he he went in and woke my mum up and said oh jane the most amazing things happen i've become a christian and she was was less than excited about this <laughs> and he he sort of began to think well how could i meet other people who 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 are also christians maybe maybe church and he said to my mum oh i don't want to go on my own you've got to come with me and she thought to herself, I know how to cure my husband of Christianity. So she said, I'll only come to church with you if it's Anglican, thinking, <laughs> you know, once he's experienced that, he'll be cured for life. He'll be fine. So they show up. And of course, this is Australia. It's Sydney Diocese. So it's a Bible-believing evangelical church. And they show up and it's a sort of 45-minute sermon on the book of Romans, chapter one. And my dad is <laughs> weeping his way through it. And my mum is absolutely furious, you know, absolutely <laughs> hating it. So about six months later, she became a Christian as well. And really the whole trajectory of our lives as a family was just totally transformed by Jesus. So all of their priorities changed, their relationship um, even with each other was was just wonderfully transformed. And as children, we we definitely saw the reality of Christ in them. And they were in their in their 30s, so already established in lots of patterns of life, but um just brought Christ absolutely into the center yeah. of family life, you know, reading the Bible together and praying. And my dad went on to become uh, an evangelist and also got ordained. We moved back to the UK and he became a, a church planter in the Church of England. So mm. I grew up in a context in which faith was was not cultural and it was certainly not nominal. Um, and it was very, very dynamically evangelistic, um, undeniably. I mean, people became Christians in our home probably most weeks. Wow. It was just mm. part of what it meant to follow Jesus is that other people were were finding him. And so 
in my first or second year at primary school, um, I was sort of sharing, in a very simple way, sharing mm. the gospel and led my friend to, to become a Christian. And then my mum led her mum to Christ and wow. they joined the church. So, so um, I didn't realise that, that that was unusual. We just grew up. Yeah. Doing evangelism and experiencing evangelism and seeing seeing, you know, the reality of Jesus. Yeah. So so do you feel then in that sense that the, the seed for being an evangelist was planted, I guess, at an early age? Did, is that something you always saw yeah. yourself continuing well, to do into adulthood? Yes, I think so. I mean, as I say, they they didn't really know anything different. They sort of just, you know, like read the Bible. Yeah. yeah. Let's do it. Let's let's go for it. Um but looking back, I can really see that um, that that probably was unusual, but also that I didn't really, ha- at that point, didn't have fear about doing it. I mean, obviously, mm. as you get older and experience rejection, then there are more, I guess, challenges and obstacles to evangelism. Um, but yes, I, yeah. I, I mean, I was just let's say thankful for my parents for that. Yeah. And then when I was 11, we lived in Birmingham. We lived in the inner city in Birmingham. And Josh McDowell came to Birmingham, I think hosted by what was then Campus Crusade. It's now Agape. And um, my mum and dad got to know him. He actually came and spoke in our church as well. And I just sat through a sort of day-long seminar (laughs) on the evidence for the Bible, aged 11, and was completely and utterly (laughs) taken with it. It was just... I just found it so fascinating and inspiring. And then um, as a teenager, I got involved with King's Kids, which was the sort of um, teenager's arm, I guess, of youth with a mission. And we went around Europe and other places every summer for three or four weeks at a time, um, sort of doing evangelism, really. And they gave me opportunities to preach. So age 15, I preached to... 2000 people in Wenceslas Square in wow. Prague. Wow. <laughs> um, and it was just after the wall had come down and there was just Gosh. such an incredible openness yeah. to to the gospel. Uh, uh, when uh, you're in it you don't think it's strange yeah. but I'm so thankful to those leaders <laughs> who were like give this female 15 year old the mic and get her to preach i mean obviously it's kind of been in your bones almost from day one then the 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 evangelism side but also in a way bringing that together with the the intellectual aspect of this and and bringing it to the skeptics as you have been doing for for so much of your life now amy um that that in a sense um was part of the story as you grew up you you were obviously um very academically gifted and ended up going to Oxford University as an undergraduate to study theology. Tell me about that because I can imagine that held its fair share of challenges as well. People often say, yeah. you know, if you want to lose your faith quickly, go and study theology at a secular university. Yeah. So so what was that like for you going into that kind of atmosphere? Well, it's quite, that was, that's, that's fascinating. In fact, at my interview um, for Oxford, uh, one, if you have multiple interviews, but one of the interviews, I, I still really remember this so clearly. One of them said, well, <laughs> you're obviously a sort of evangelical, you know, Bible-believing kind of Christian. How are you going to cope psychologically and emotionally when, you know, you come if you come to Oxford and all your naive little ideas about the Bible come crashing down? That was the question. I mean, really, really patronising. Wow. <laughs> And I sort of actually very, very naively, but with full faith in that moment, just said, well, 
I'm not interested in something that isn't true. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And so if it turns out not to be true, I don't think that will be psychologically damaging. <laughs> and I'm, I'm only interested in intellectual honesty. But I wouldn't be so tr- so sure if I were you that that's what I would discover if I came here. <laughs> I said something like that. <laughs> and... Um, you know, moved on to the next thing. Um, and I definitely had confrontations in my after my first year exams. A very, very senior professor of Old Testament, um, really, really well known, extremely liberal um, theologian. He'd been teaching me, tutoring me one to one. Sort of took me inside and said, "Look, I think you've got real potential. I think." You could be a professional academic, but you're going to have to drop your evangelical views about the Bible mm. um, if you want to do well. It sounds and remarkably so, like a story John Lennox tells about yeah, when he was actually, a young, that was, yes, a young undergraduate. True, yeah, and, obviously and, him as a scientist. Yeah, and, and being and taken really aside. Yeah, that we, yeah. we had a sort of network of um, of us who were studying theology, who were part of the Christian Union. There were there there's quite a group of us, and we really prayed together. I remember sort of crying and praying through that and making the decision uh, that I wasn't going to compromise um what i believe to be true um in in order to try and be successful and ironically in my kind of final exams in the end the highest grade i got was in that old testament paper <laughs> so you know um how people often say I mean, I, god honors those who who honor him i just really did find yeah. that to be be the case i i, and, I came up to oxford about a year after you left i think Amy, yeah and i have to say you're you you had made your impact because there was the legend of amy or ewing and, no, and, there her, wasn't. and her finals <laughs> there you. was and seriously <laughs> i so i spoke to people who said oh yeah so there was this um uh, undergraduate amy or ewing and she got first but it was really contested um so do you want to tell us the story about what happened oh gosh yeah so um so basically um Frog and I were getting married. Oh, so we'd met at university and we've been doing all these mission trips and stuff. And we t- you t- at Oxford, you take your finals and you do, sort of, as you know, Justin, you do kind of two weeks of very, very intense exams, three hours in the morning, three hours in the afternoon. And that goes on for two weeks and then it's done. And you have to wait for your degree results. So the result comes out about three weeks later. And um, basically, that was going to be the day before our wedding. So wow. three days before our wedding, my tutor rings me and says, listen, Amy, um, the thing is that it's quite unusual and I really, really don't want you to worry, but we're calling you for a viva. And that means um, a sort of oral exam where you have to defend um, what you've written. And usually that only happens for a doctorate yeah PhD. i was gonna say i only have ever heard of that happening for a phd yeah. or a master's or something i don't like think that. it had happened for sort of 25 years wow. before it happened to me <laughs> um so anyway he knew the inside track which he told me later but i didn't know this so so um th- three days after that phone call i had to go in sub so in all the you know the, the robe and yes. the you know the white shirt and all that and go to exam schools and be uh, sit in this chair surrounded by 14 doms at the university and orally answer any question they they wanted to ask me it's unbelievably intimidating (laughs) anyway it turned out that um what I had written in my four gospels paper 
had um, really offended one of the very, very liberal New Testament scholars. And so um, basically he'd given me zero for, for my essays in that paper. And because I was quite good at New Testament Greek, I'd got nearly 100% in that, and um, but zero in the, in the essay. And the external moderators noticed this anomaly and said, well, this doesn't look fair on this student. Um, I actually was still going to get a first, but I would always have had a very low grade in New Testament. And, and so they insisted on it being remarked. He refused to put the grade up. And so they had to call everyone back to do this fiver. And I was basically grilled for, Gosh. I think, nearly an hour verbally um, on Jesus and the New Testament. And it was just, it was absolutely incredible. I, I did end up getting my first, as you say, it, it, but it was such a preparation for what I've gone on to do. And, you know, um, in the Gospels where, where Jesus promises that when we're called before councils and we're called and before kings or whoever that, that he will give up the holy spirit will give us the words to say i definitely experienced that 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 is um, but just, it was quite stressful yeah, age i can imagine i mean i mean goodness <laughs> me exams and just before your wedding yeah uh, the day before my wedding just, just crazy can you imagine it's on the friday uh, most people are sort of wow. i don't know getting their nails done or something <laughs> but i tell you what it makes for a great story on this program however many years later Amy. Oh, um anyway th this is this is all so fun and um i love it um time's whipping by and i really need to, to kind of get on to sort of you know, other things but there's lots of other exciting adventures can you briefly tell us about going to afghanistan with, oh, with yeah. frog so, so you, um, you met frog at university and, and then yeah then you were off yeah. on a mission trip yeah so we um at that time there was a real uh, sort of awakening of the holy spirit amongst students this is um in the 1990s so sort of 94 to 97 i was at oxford and we were having these prayer meetings for the world early morning, 7 a.m., people just gathering in colleges, crying out to God to move in the nations of the world and send a missionary movement again. And out of that, um, a, a, a small group of us, so Frog, myself and another guy, um, really received this call to go to Afghanistan. Um, the Taliban had just taken power. They had about three quarters of the country and it was humanly impossible to get a visa. We actually got visas as um, journalists representing the Oxford University newspaper. And the plan initially was we were going to go and pray and intercede for the nation and just see um, if we could get interviews with, with, um, with people there and then try and do conversation and evangelism kind of thing. But the night before we left, I had a dream. And in that dream, I saw us giving Bibles to um, high-ranking members of the Taliban. And so on the morning of our flight, and we had to fly to a neighbouring country and then get a train and sort of cross the border on foot. The morning of our flight, we um, went to Scripture Gift Mission and filled our rucksacks with 40 New Testaments and four copies of the Bible. And um, yeah, brief version of the story is that we did actually get invited into the military headquarters of the Taliban. We met the education minister, the foreign minister and the religion minister, as well as, as others. And we spent about two and a half hours interviewing them about their belief system and 
what their theological approach to Islam, their their longing for God, and then began to share with them something about about Jesus, and then got these Bibles out, and they're all sort of got their Kalashnikovs there, you know, it's heavily heavily <laughs> armed, and you know we didn't know whether this would be the end, but we we handed over these Bibles, saying you know this is the most precious gift we think we could give you, and the sort of the thing I think I will never forget is that the keeper of the Holy Quran, so the religion minister for the Taliban, the same one that, you know, John Simpson interviewed for his groundbreaking BBC documentary about the Taliban. He, he took the Bible and he said, I know exactly what this book is. I have been praying to Allah for years that I could read this book. Thank you for bringing it in answer to my prayers. I'm going to read it every day until I finished it. And after that, everybody else, you know, the education minister, others just sort of relaxed and felt, I think, a liberty to take the Bible and read it. And for us, I think that has really, really shaped, in a way, my life. But the way that I see people who are outside the faith, who are perhaps really hostile to Jesus, that there is no one who is beyond the reach of the Holy Spirit. And um, we write people off way before God writes yeah. them off. Wow. And that it's him that that draws people to Jesus and, and he can he's the God of the impossible. He can do it. And and sometimes in the work that I do now, you know, using apologetics, we're trying to reach skeptical people we're on campuses, in banks, in universities, in um, parliaments. And it can feel like people are so far away from Jesus, but there is no one beyond mm, his reach. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's so that was a very formative it, experience, an extraordinary experience as well. I mean, I, I I don't know that probably trumps the the Oxford Viva. Um, but <laughs> I mean, I was going to ask though, just cheekily. I mean, what what's more scary, being surrounded by tw- fourteen Oxford Dons or um, armed <laughs> Taliban well, in those situations? I have to say, because we'd been to meet the Taliban um, the summer, the Easter before, like so, in our second year. So going into to those dorms did not feel as as frightening as it as it sounds. Because yeah, in comparison to the to, to the Taliban, and we did, nearly didn't get out. We were rescued in an Gosh. amazing way. There's there's a whole another story to, uh, that's part of it too. So again, I think. Um, Simon Gilbo talks about about this too just having that sense that you know our our steps are ordained by the Mm, Lord and mm. we live each day as a gift from him and I think that experience taught me that to, to, to kind of trust God with each day and sometimes when he takes you through quite dramatic things like that it's an encouragement in the more mundane um, daily fears to to, to trust God, you know. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about Arzim and your role there and Reboot shortly after yeah. after a quick break. Before we get to that break, just a little bit more on, on Frog. He obviously went on to become ordained in the Church of England. I know that there was a very specific and strong calling that that you both felt for him to do that um not long after you you got together and were married but yeah um it's a, it, i mean where you are now um where the church is is quite an interesting situation isn't it latimer minster it's a church plant effectively do you want to just describe what it yeah. is and, and what the ministry is like there yeah so um 
yeah for, I mean Frog is, is an amazing Christian leader and it's just such a fun adventure sharing life and ministry with him so we were in the inner city in Peckham for seven years and saw God do amazing things there and um at the end of our towards the end of our time there we we were really asking the Lord what what are you calling us to do and we just felt very strongly both of us that he was calling us to plant a minster church and minster is what the um Celts the sort of model that they used to evangelize pagan Britain in the sort of five to seven hundreds and really it meant kind of establishing um a base of strength of of theology of, of of church life of but also of industry and of hospitality as a kind of apostolic um sending place from which people would go and plant churches and other ministers and so um as we were praying um frog really very strongly well we both had independently a vision of a wooden barn church surrounded by fruit trees the celts built their churches in wood interestingly um and then frog drew a map um and and just said i think god's calling us to plant our minster here and just put an x on this map um so obviously we prayed about that um and eventually, a, a couple of um, a year and a half or so later, we we moved really in faith um, to to that area near where the ex had been on the spot, and we started with eight people. Um, and then um, the the farm that we're now on in came up for sale. And if you lay Frog's map over the ordinance survey map, the X is exactly. Um, where our, our, our farm is um, and um, the tent that we meet in meets on the threshing floor. We'd have this, this um, scripture from the end of, of Samuel where David buys Arena's threshing floor and it actually becomes the site of the temple, place of God's presence and, you know, truth on the outskirts of the city, etc. So um, really it was, it was lots of prophetic words leading us to now, um, you know, the Minster meets, um, Latimer Minster, we're called, if you want to look it up, um, we're in Buckinghamshire, so we're just on the outskirts of of London, um, and we have quite a few hundred people now. Um, we have a flourishing farm, and it just so happens that the farm is, is a fruit farm, so it has mm. plums and cherries that mm. were the fruit yeah. that sort of fed London in the 17 and 1800s. Um, and so uh, the main sort of focus has been building the people of in, of the church, but we're also um, restoring this very <laughs> broken down site into a place of beauty. We have 70 acres. Um, there's there's a sort of environmental, ecological element to it too. Yeah. And lots and lots of people have come and have, have met Jesus there. And um, for those who, who perhaps are, put off a bit by institutional church or the sort of hierarchical approach or mm. you know very formal or buildings or whatever it it just really resonates yeah. for them yeah. so um it's it's been a complete joy it's really hard work of course church in britain you know nowadays it's not it's not easy um but but we've just been blessed yeah. to really see see a move of god so yeah Fantastic. Emmy, we're going to take a quick break. Um, so much more I want to ask you 
uh, but we're going to talk especially in the next section of the programme about a very exciting event coming up in London, Reboot. Uh, it's really aimed at young people, helping them to think through their faith and answer the tough questions often thrown at them at that stage of life. Uh, Amy and a number of others will be there for it. Uh, so uh, do make sure you can get along or if you know a young person who'd be like, like to get along, certainly uh, to Reboot 2019 in London, Saturday, the 21st of September. And we'll be talking about that and other aspects of Amy's ministry in a short moment here on the programme, The Profile. Premier Christianity magazine in this month's issue. Former Blue Peter presenter Simon Thomas had it all. A successful TV career, a loving family and a strong faith. But when his wife died, his world fell apart. In the latest issue, Simon talks candidly about grief, unanswered prayer and why death is not the end. Plus, Artie Kendall writes on the silent divorce between word and spirit. Nick Page tells us why questioning the Bible is a biblical thing to do. And the best-selling Christian author Philip Yancey shares his insights on the state of the global church. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. World-class Bible teachers, including Albert Moeller and Alistair Begg, are coming to London. Ligonier Ministries' first ever UK conference is taking place this September and you can go free. You'll get two tickets worth £118 completely free of charge when you subscribe to Premier Christianity magazine. Subscribe now and get your free tickets to the Light of the World conference at premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to the second half of today's show. Really interesting edition of The Profile today. I'm Justin Briley sitting down with author, evangelist and speaker Amy Orr-Ewing. Now, don't forget before we leap back into the interview that today's show is available on podcast and it's brought to you in partnership with Premier Christianity magazine. Your monthly source of news, views, reviews and cultural commentary Uh, helps you to live your faith wherever you find yourself. Do get a free sample copy of the latest mag right now over at premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. We've been hearing today on the program already about uh, Amy or Ewing's life growing up, um, the extraordinary story of how her own parents were converted, um, but then her own evangelism through that uh, university, uh, going on this extraordinary trip to Afghanistan, meeting the Taliban, living to surviving to tell the tale. Um, and uh, and of course, since then, Amy, you've you've really been involved, um, you know, since university at one level or another in apologetics, specifically through Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Um, when did you sort of first meet Ravi himself, who obviously founded that? And, and how has that ministry grown since you've been there? Yeah, um, so... Uh, after after university, um, and actually during university, sorry, uh, Frog and I were involved in a kind of prayer movement that was like a national prayer movement, um, which enca- um, encompassed people from Ichthus and um, all sorts of other churches from from all over all over the UK. And at that, um, I met a guy called Michael Ramsden, or Frog and I met him, and we kind of really clicked. He um, uh, introduced us about a year later to, to Rabbi Zacharias. And um, we had we had dinner with him. We were just kind of sharing stories. I was sort of sharing stories of, of speaking at 
various universities, like I'd spoken at Sheffield University uh, and um, kind of told him the story of what had happened and shared a bit about Afghanistan and stuff. And really, as a result of that, um, Ravi had had this vision that we that the, the ministry be established in Europe and um, Michael was just getting involved with it and beginning here as an apologist and starting the Zacharias Trust. And they asked me to to come on board right then at the beginning in those early days. And so, yeah, I've I've been working with the ministry for, for 22 years. And from that start of just two of us as young people in our 20s, starting out as evangelists, um, we have kind of planted apologetic ministries um, in all over Europe, loads of the European countries, right into the Middle East and into Africa. And we've also established a centre, the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics, um, where people come and study for for the year and, and really train and learn practically how to be evangelist apologists. So um, we we now have quite a massive team um, operating out, out of our Oxford um, headquarters, but um, offices led by indigenous leaders in um, all, all over the world as mm, well. Yeah. So it's been it's it, it's been an amazing twenty years yeah. to see the Lord's hand on the ministry and how things have grown phenomenally. What what I've always been encouraged by as well is that although the organisation obviously bears his name, Ravi has very intentionally I think brought up a whole new generation yeah. of apologists and evangelists and that's really yeah. what what it consists of these days isn't it this this very yeah, large, large exactly. team I mean, yeah ravi himself is in is in his 70s and you know he's still pursuing his own preaching ministry but um yes very much so the organization is 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 led by you know the, our generation now and we've got loads of young ones coming through so it's it's wonderful to see to see that the message yeah. being multiplied and yeah i, I mean obviously you've, you've shared so many stories so encouraging you know so far in the program obviously there must also be huge challenges along the way i mean not least obviously and i knew him a little at least myself but but the story of nabil qureshi who obviously came on yeah. as an amazing apologist evangelist himself from a muslim background and obviously yeah. uh, contracted cancer and, and died about a year later yeah. and and how do you i don't know i suppose it's the classic question but sometimes you deal with it intellectually and sometimes you face it head on with something like that yeah. what what how did you as an organization you personally amy i'm sure knew him well as well yourself deal with that when when someone like yeah that? um well uh yes i mean nabil's death really hit lots of us very hard because he's a beloved was a beloved team member and colleague and coming from a muslim background himself um he very much had a sense of family in the team and he had a young daughter and his his wife michelle i just saw her a, a few weeks ago she was visiting the uk um surviving him and and actually we also had another very dear colleague um dr keith small he was a um Islamic tech specialist mm. died last year too. So um, I think one of the things that, you know, what one sort of thinks in a situation like that is that however much we're, we're serving the Lord and however many miracles and breakthroughs we see as God's people, none of us are immune from that kind of suffering. And the promise of the Bible isn't come to Jesus and you know if you really really serve him with your whole 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 heart 
these bad things aren't going to happen to you or, or your team. I think we we read our own story and our own losses within the story of the Bible. And I know that um, Nabil completely and utterly trusted God and trusted his timing. Um, sometimes we can't see that because... You know, we know how incredibly gifted he was and how incredibly needed his voice is in this generation. But he absolutely trusted God, and so we do as well. I think that his legacy, given the power of his writing, if any anyone listening hasn't come across him, do read his book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. It's, it's a classic of our time, I think. So the 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 legacy is there in the writing and also some of the internet ministry too but as a team certainly we've we've really grieved um together and we've needed to it's it's been a devastating loss yeah the ministry has to always be bigger than one person and we are a team yeah, yeah. sorry Justin. Yeah. and i was just gonna say even i as someone who who only met him a handful of times and uh, interviewed him for this very program actually yeah. um um was 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 very struck i i gen you know and so i can't imagine what it was like for those who obviously served alongside him for, for yeah. a number of years but yeah it, it is as you say it is the reality is we none of us are promised um you know security from the realities no. of, of danger and life and illness and everything else yeah. um uh, just as the first disciples experienced exactly. um, in their in their day um look we we must talk about um you know the reboot which i i have just been in awe of what you guys have established in a relatively short time with reboot um seeing thousands of young people turn up um every year to these uh conferences which go, go on all over the world now but specifically yeah. coming up on saturday the 21st um, of september here in london um before we get that let, let's let me depress you with some statistics here all right amy <laughs> yeah. okay so Apparently, according to the recent British Social Attitude Survey that came out earlier this year, um, Christianity very much on the decline in the UK and the West. Um, more than half, 53% of the British public, apparently now describe themselves as having no religion. And it's even more precipitous among young people. Seven in ten, 71% of young people aged 18 to 24 say they have no religion. Um, and of course, we've had the secular society and the humanists and so on making a lot of out of that and saying, you know, just shows that we're all leaving religion and Christianity behind. Um, so what, what are you, what's your response, first of all, to that kind of a statistic, Amy? And, 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 and can you give us any kind of encouragement on the back of what you're, <laughs> you're seeing through Reboot? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think my first reaction to that kind of statistic is that I think a lot of the people who may have previously described themselves as, as religious who now apparently don't, may not have actually been you know professing bible believing christians i think what has fallen off a cliff is nominalism or a kind of passive general atmosphere of of christian religion hanging around your life so what i don't think has happened is a is a huge huge you know generational turning away from god although i do think that that, that the statistics you say significantly impact the experience of on-fire Christian teenagers today. Their lived experience is that they're quite alone and that they need um, they need bolstering, they need support. They are they are kind of on the front line. So um, 
part of the vision for Reboot came about because uh, we've been involved for sort of 15 years with University Evangelism and we were meeting um, a lot of people on campus who might have grown up in the church but had either drifted away or quite actively turned away from the faith and turned away from Jesus and often because of some some sort of intellectual question that they just said was never addressed or never resolved and some of those questions were really quite easily resolvable but by the time we were meeting them at university it was almost too late and so um, the vision for Reboot sort of emerged through from this passion to um, to come alongside young people at exactly that moment when they're really on the front line going to secondary school you're you're gaining independence from your family and from your church to some extent and you're you're beginning to forge your identity at school and if you're going to stand for Jesus that is going to mean you're going to be really really different and it's going to mean you're going to be asked questions mm. and um, the, the, the vision and the passion of Reboot was could we put the very best of resources at our, dispose, at our disposal into the hands of those young people so that they could not only hold on to their faith through those teenage years, but so that they could actually reach their world, reach their generation for Christ. That was the vision. And I remember sort of sharing it and thinking, I think it's going to be very, very niche. You know, the youth ministry world is a huge world. And I think this might be a really small part in that world, but we're called to do it. I was imagining, you know, 100 or 200. So we were overwhelmed the first year. We had over 400 teenagers come to the first ever reboot. We wanted to make sure that it really genuinely was shaped and led by their questions. And so we have short talks, the talks are kind of 20 minutes. And then we use this Q&A platform called Pigeonhole where they can ask their questions and people vote on which questions they want to be answered. Uh, we have loads of Q&A panels during the day um, and it's, it's sort of highly interactive and all the speakers don't sort of retreat off to a green room we make ourselves available mm. to talk to every 12 13 14 18 year old that wants to come and talk to us and you know i've found everything from the pastor's child who had um a question about a particular particularly graphic old testament story and he just couldn't understand what it meant or how it could be in the bible and, you know, I spent 15 minutes with him talking him through the narrative structure of the Bible, what, you know, what the nature of that writing was, how it fitted, how, it, how we can understand that God is a God of judgment and a God of love in the context of this text. We talked it all three together. And to my total surprise, he absolutely burst into tears <laughs> and said, right well, what you need to know is my faith has been hanging by a thread. I've asked everyone, I've asked my youth pastor, I've asked my parents, I've asked um, other pastors and I've never found answers to these questions. And I decided if I didn't get an answer to that today, I was giving up my faith. But today I'm committing myself and I feel called wow. to be an evangelist. And so, you know, we prayed for him. This is like four or five years ago Gosh, now. Wow. Um, 
So a- amazing stuff like that. Yeah. Um, another another story from last year at Rebeat. Um, one of our young team, a guy called Zoe, was speaking on suffering and sharing some of his testimony. And this 14-year-old boy comes up to him in tears and says, um, uh, basically, you know, two years ago, my mum died. And um, at the funeral, I was asking, you know, lots of questions in my heart. And a church leader um, at the funeral, his mum's funeral, is is talking to him and he's saying, I don't understand why God would allow this to happen. And and the church leader says to him, well, the thing is that you loved your mum more than you love God. And so God had to take your mum oh, away from you. Gosh, wow. Yeah. So... Zoe is there with this boy who's heard a, a, a really solid 45-minute um, uh, kind of deep apologetic around suffering. He's also heard some of Zoe's stories, so he knows this isn't just theory. Zoe's able to talk through why what that person said is so wrong and it's so antithetical to the gospel. It's absolutely the opposite of the gospel and prays with him to to receive Jesus and to experience the love of God. And, you know, that that child's life has changed. Yeah, so every, every year at Reboot, we're, we're, we're really trying to put... Um, to take the, the questions the kids are asking. So it's everything from, you know, can I smoke weed? Even if it was legalized, could yeah. would it be all right to smoke weed? To, and um, what does God think about homosexuality? To, you know, the trans debate, to mm. God and science. And um, this year we've got Professor John Lennox coming to speak on God and science and to, to pour confidence into mm. the hearts of those young people that, you can be a brilliant scientist and you can believe in God. These mm. two things actually support each other. Uh, we're going to be looking at, at, at has, is Christianity racist? Has the church sort of supported that? How can we answer that question? So um, loads of questions and the opportunity to ask individually as well as in the big group setting. And every year as well, the opportunity to respond personally to the gospel and teenagers bring their non-christian friends <laughs> and loads of people make commitments to christ each year at this thing so yeah i'm yeah. so excited about it so if you are a young person or you have a young person do do consider coming along um, it, it, it's, to london it is, it is fantastic and and um let me just give the website as well reboot yeah. rebootglobal.org is the place to go if you want to find out more book tickets um you'll actually yeah. find that that reboot takes place all over the world in fact but, but yeah but we're, we're specifically yeah, looking at london very soon saturday 21st yeah. of september yeah that's right yeah yeah um yeah. we've got about we've got about 10 minutes left um and uh, in some ways what what I wanted to ask on the back of talking about reboot and reaching young people and, and their questions, you're a mum yourself of, of three boys, you know, in their, their teens, I'm guessing, or, or at least yes. a couple of them now. Um, so, do you, I mean, has that been a helpful thing in terms of what you've gone on to do with reboot, just having the experience of, you know, living alongside teenagers and the questions they have and everything? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I would say that it's actually starts when, when they're children. I mean, my, mm my sons both found themselves in um, evangelistic and you know confrontational conversations at the school about the existence of God from about the age of six or seven and they 
they needed evidence to to share they needed a, a framework to help them process the questions of their friends and to actually you know give their friends some answers as well so definitely that has and also the the, the children of other other people in our team so we started reboot before my kids were actually teenagers but I could see the teenagers in my life growing up I thought why do why why do we have to wait for university to mm. to equip them in this way you need this stuff when you're 12 you need five solid evidences of the existence of god when you're 11 <laughs> or 12 you know it's when you're 13 and your biology teacher is is mocking you that you need to be able to 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 formulate some kind of answer about god and science same for questions about sexuality um, and and the you know all the Bible questions or, or or you know how can God be just and these terrible things happen in the world? These questions are raging in the hearts of teenagers, and so you know I just I just feel this real passion that yeah. I want us to as the church to to be serious about how much they are on the front line yeah you know and their potential to reach others as well if they had confidence that it was actually true i I don't know if in your oxford days um or even now i suppose that you you're you're in and out of oxford you ever bumped into richard dawkins um but but i know that he's got a new book out this autumn it's called outgrowing god and it from what I can tell, it basically is the God delusion for teenagers. So yeah. uh, there's a kind of sense in which teenagers are not only are they just living in a generally more secular society, they've also got, you know, lots of people like the Dawkins and others spinning a certain narrative about religion. So yeah. in some ways it's harder, I think, to be a teenager growing up today than it was maybe when you and I were growing up or a previous generation. Would you, would yeah. you agree with that? I think that is probably true. I think numerically there are less of them. Um, believers obviously we know that um and as you say the sort of scale of hostility and also the the kind of um the the massive changes in culture as well of, of the way people live and the decisions they make is so much further from from the bible so christians seem much much weirder yeah, in some yeah, ways yeah. and so yeah the support our young people need is is so much so so important yeah <laughs> i wonder i wonder what dawkins would make of coming along to reboot where yeah uh, <laughs> yeah well he i don't think he likes john lennox very much does he <laughs> since um john definitely <laughs> held his own in his debates with dawkins yeah. well um th- just before we have to close off, um, it does bring me finally to just to the fact that you, you do so much. You're spinning so many plates yourself, Amy. You've got obviously all your, you know, what you're doing on an international level with our Zim reboot. Um, you're a mum. You've got, you know, your uh, Frog himself has a, has a very full ministry uh, on his side. How, how do you keep that all together? How do you stay sane? How do you manage to s- squeeze in interviews like this? Um, <laughs> what's, what's the secret oh. to being the super apologist evangelist, uh, Amy? Oh, you so, um, <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, well, I remember someone saying to me a while ago, um, or, or, or sort of giving me the challenge of, is the Christian life you're aspiring to live livable without the power of God? And if it is, is it is it really the Christian life? And so, 
what I hope is that if people look at, at my life, they don't think, oh gosh, there's someone who's, you know, brilliant with the to-do lists. Although, you know, I do try to be really organised. I hope they don't think, oh, you know, there's someone who's just got endless energy, but more um, that, that, that must be God. God must be real and actually active in that person's life. That's certainly how I hope to live. Um, I feel like I, I have to just daily lean on, on the Lord and, you know, receive mm. his power and his strength and, um, and not live under a sort of fear of not being able to achieve things or not being able to do, you know, certain things to, to, to the right level because we all have those struggles, but to trust him with the outcome as well. And I think in evangelism, that's particularly important that our confidence is in, is in God and our trust is in, in him bringing the outcome. Mm. And so we, we just have to be faithful with our bit. Um, I, I absolutely love spending time with with my kids and my family, and so I do try to be um, pretty careful about about the diary. Um, bring the children with me on lots of ministry trips as well. I want them to to see God at work in the way my parents introduce me to God at work in their lives. So yeah, lots lots of different ways. And Frog's an amazing support. I have to say. Um, I would really emphasize that as a woman in ministry, um, having a husband who believes in my ministry way more than I do and is prepared to really share the tasks of raising the children and um, share responsibilities in the home. And then in the same way, I want to help him and share responsibilities in the church. So um, trying to serve each other in that way, we certainly don't always get it right. Sometimes the wheels come off. And then we just have to throw ourselves on the grace of God again. Yeah. So I, I don't, certainly don't feel like I've got it all together, Justin. <laughs> Let's put it that way. No, I, um, I, I suspected you might say something. I mean, and everything you're saying, I can echo in, in my own, you know, different situation. But, you know, with my wife, who's in Christian ministry, full-time yeah, Christian ministry. that's right. And, yeah. and, and knowing that it is a partnership in the end. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. So, so much of it depends on that. But um, look, it's been such fun talking to you, Amy. Just before we we finish up you know a few decades on from being that girl who just saw her life about you know naturally leading to her inviting her friends to follow Jesus as well is it the same feeling now when when you see people come to Christ it, it, you know it, what what's it like 30 30 years on I suppose from when you made your I commitment? feel like the joy in leading someone to Christ only increases I feel way more joy than I did then at age wow. 5 when I lead someone to Christ, it's so wonderful um, to see the kingdom break in to someone, to see their countenance change, to see someone filled with the Holy Spirit, um, or to see someone who's been really, really struggling and have a question answered and the sort of relief of things settling and realizing it's okay for me to question my questions. God is big enough. Um, he can answer these mm. questions. He can send answers in different ways. He's big enough to cope with our doubts and our questions. Um, incredible joy to see that. And I think at the same time, um, that that sort of urgency as I get older, you know, you realise 
time is short you know we lose colleagues like Nabil although of course as Christians in one sense we don't lose him he's he's gone to glory gone to be with Jesus but um it's a it's a helpful reminder that our time is is short and every hour every day is a gift but it's also a responsibility Mm. um what what are we going to do with those opportunities we've been given the relationships we have you know are we are we using them are we are we sharing jesus are we being bold and brave and stepping out for him and trusting him amy thank you so much for being my guest on the profile this week Thanks for having me, Justin. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, you want to find out more about Reboot happening in London on Saturday, the 21st of September, do go and check it out at the website rebootglobal.org. For now, I've been Justin Briley here on The Profile, and we'll be back with another guest at the same time next week. Uh, don't forget that you can find out more interviews uh, with all kinds of Christians in all kinds of walks of life uh, from Premier Christianity magazine. Get your free sample copy over at premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample and don't forget that today's show and many more besides available from the profile podcast wherever you get your podcasts from